welcome to Quarantine Seminary with Brother Ryson. Greetings, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and welcome back. We've just hit a major milestone in our exploration of the Book of Mormon. We are now finished with what we've come to know as the small plates of Nephi, which means that we're going to leave behind the pattern of our authors changing every time the record passes from father to son. Now, our primary guide will be Mormon. This is, after all, the Book of Mormon. He will include a number of other primary sources, as we'll see, that will effectively put the story in another storyteller's hands, but he's always the editor, piecing together the story. A good way to think about Mormon's role from Mosiah on is as a documentary filmmaker. Occasionally, he'll provide voiceover and narration, directing our attention to events or insights that he really wants us to see. But his most impactful work is done in piecing this story together and selecting what we see and what we don't see. In biblical studies, people like Mormon are called redactors. Discerning the intent of a redactor requires a little more effort than simply reading the words on a page. But the payoff is big, especially if you believe that your redactor is an inspired prophet. So with that preamble... I wanted to do an overview episode before we dive back into the text. This is like looking at a map before starting out on a hike. Our goal is to find where we are, where we want to go, and what the best route is to get there. In order to do that, we're going to need to pay attention to the features of the landscape. Now, not every map is created equal. If we stick with our metaphor... We need what's called a topographical map, a map that shows change in elevation. Without that information, we could easily think that we're on the right course, but being headed straight toward a cliff. You may be thinking, great metaphor, but what does that look like when it comes to reading scriptures? Well, scriptures are stories, and stories have features. They have inciting incidences, conflicts, climactic events, and conclusions. In scriptures, we'll find different genres different types of writing structures, references to other books of scripture, and so on. And Mormon will use all of these tools to help direct our attention and guide us through his book. We'll start out today by talking about how Mormon organizes his book. If you really want to know what an author is doing, it helps to start by looking at the table of contents. You can learn a lot from just that little bit of information. You're probably already familiar with Mormon's table of contents. Let's see if you recognize it. The book of Mosiah, the book of Alma, the book of Helaman, the book of 3rd Nephi, the book of 4th Nephi, the book of Mormon. Now, we've all learned basic narrative structure in English class. First comes the exposition, where you set the scene and characters. Next, you have the introduction of the problem. You then get rising action in response to that problem. This builds into a climactic event. Then there's falling action, and finally some type of resolution. It's not perfect, but that's actually a pretty helpful way to think about Mormon's table of contents. In the book of Mosiah, we have a new scene set. The people of Nephi are split in two. 
between the lands of Zarahemla and the land of Nephi. They've also mixed in with the people of Zarahemla. We are also introduced to two central characters upon which the rest of the story pivots, the Church of Christ and the Nephite government. We may not naturally think about these two as characters, let alone central characters, but trust me, they are. And it will be helpful to remember that going forward. We also get introduced to other minor but important types of characters. There's the Lamanites and Nephites, the kings, the kings and rulers, and the prophets, and finally the dissenters. So the book of Mosiah really sets the stage. The book of Alma, by far Mormon's longest book, introduces the problem and begins the rising action. And the problem introduced in the book of Alma might surprise you. The problem is the church. Now I could just hear some of you wanting to push back against me here. You want to say, no, the problem is the fact that the Lamanites keep attacking the Nephites. I know that that's the problem because Mormon goes on and on about these battles that they fight. Give me a second to make my case. We have to be able to separate the problem from its effects. Now, I am trying to be a little provocative here when I say that the problem is the church. That's not the whole story. A better way of saying it is that this is the first time there has been a church amongst the Nephites. In other words, this is the first time that the king and his priests aren't primarily responsible for the spiritual well-being of the people. The book of Alma begins just as the Nephite kingdom is being dissolved and a new government installed, what is known as the reign of the judges. And almost immediately, we run into some confusion about the relationship between the church, which has just been founded by Alma, and the government. For the first time, you can be a Nephite and see yourself as not a member of God's covenant people. That is really important. There are some other groups that begin to spring up, which often lead to dissent, and those dissenters, more often than not, are the ones responsible for stirring up the Lamanites against the Nephites. Do you see what I mean about separating the cause from the effect? The introduction of the Church of Christ into the Nephite people has dramatic effects. The rising action continues into the book of Helaman as the situation with the Nephite government gets worse. The reign of judges has all but collapsed, and the people are controlled by a group known as the Gadianton robbers. The prophets in the church hang in there, and at one point the Lamanites become the primary covenant members of the church, trying to restore the Nephites. But all in all, Helaman is a book that leaves us deeply concerned about the future of the Nephite people, and specifically about the Church of Christ. One of the few messages of hope in Helaman is this message from a Lamanite prophet named Samuel about the signs of a coming Messiah. Third Nephi is where Mormon tells of the climactic event of the Book of Mormon. The book begins with a direct threat against the church. Samuel's prophecies seem to have failed, but then the members of the church are saved by the sign of the birth of Christ that Samuel foretold. This sign is so miraculous that the Nephites and Lamanites unite together against the robbers and are victorious. There's a brief season of peace and incredible prosperity, and you think, maybe this is all going to work out in the end, but then it goes bad and quickly. Inequality breaks up the church, prophets are assassinated, and an insurgency group completely overthrows the government. There's this evil kingdom that rises up in the power vacuum, and everyone else is in these loose tribal alliances. It's essentially chaos. There are still prophets, and the people know the message is true, but they reject it and are angry with the prophets. 
in just 124 years, we've gone from King Benjamin leading his people and making a covenant with God to complete disintegration. Then the sign of Christ's death comes, and there is this unimaginable destruction, wiping out all of the cities that we've come to know and killing their inhabitants. The landscape is completely altered and the lights go out, but there is a voice. Everyone who survives the destruction begins to gather together at the temple. Nephite and Lamanite labels now have no meaning. People are wondering who could put this world back together after this kind of destruction. Then Jesus comes. Fourth Nephi really isn't history. We don't get much detail and no major events. We just know how the people treated each other. This is the falling action. That's why we don't get much detail. Basically, there is no action until there is. Jesus' appearance, together with the work done by the 12 disciples in the church, bring a period of peace and unity that is almost unequaled in all of human history. There isn't much to tell. The people are loving, unified, and caring for one another, and this lasts for more than 200 years. When the action does start up again, it's basically a rehearsal of the patterns that we've seen play out throughout the narrative. It begins with pride, with inequality, with ethnic and religious divisions. Finally, the Gadiant and robbers make a comeback, signaling the beginning of the end. At this point, you might be wondering, where are we going to get our resolution? That's what the falling action is supposed to bring, right? This looks like it's all going to be bad. Well, the Book of Mormon isn't a Disney movie. Its resolution, found in Mormon's final book, the Book of Mormon, ends with unspeakable wickedness and the genocidal destruction of the Nephite people by the Lamanites. It turns out that the story that Mormon has been telling us this whole time is a tragedy. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah compares the house of Israel to a tree which has been cut down, but out of the stump that's left over grows a new branch. And that's a helpful way to think about our only source of hope at the end of Mormon's record. The Nephites have been cut down and left as a stump, but Mormon has successfully encapsulated the story of the Nephites and passed it down to his son, a lone survivor. Moroni will finish the record, including a short history of the Jaredites, and bury it like a seed that future generations will cultivate and harvest. Out of the stump of the Nephites' complete destruction grows the tree that will gather in the Lamanites and the rest of the house of Israel and produce for them the fruit of the covenant. There's just a couple of things that I'd like to point out before wrapping up. Mormon's table of contents gives us a good sense of what he wants us to focus our attention on. I said earlier that Mormon has two main characters, the church and the Nephite government, and we see that in how he divides up his book. By the way, I'm stealing this from a BYU professor named Joseph Spencer, who is, I think, one of the most gifted readers of the Book of Mormon in the church today. Each book after Mosiah is named after the first prophet of the book, who inherited the records and their role in the church from their father with the same name. In other words, the book of Alma is named after Alma the Younger, who inherited that position from his father, who founded the church. The book of Helaman is named after Helaman the Younger, and the same goes for Third Nephi. Mormon clearly wants us to pay attention to the continuity that exists in the leadership of the church and the maintenance of the records. The government, on the other hand, has no such continuity. At the end of the book of Mosiah, the Nephite kingdom is dissolved, and the reign of the judges begins in the book of Alma. In the book of Helaman, we see a complete takeover of the government by the Gadianton robbers, and in 3 Nephi, 
any sense of centralized government is completely destroyed. Perhaps one thing that Mormon is trying to tell us is not to get distracted as we are making our way through the Nephite story. It's almost as if he's saying, there's going to be a lot of chaos and war and shifting power structures. But keep your eye on the covenant and the covenant people. And maybe there's a lesson in there for us in our day. Thanks for listening to our overview of Mormon's books. Hopefully this has been helpful as we transition out of the small plates of Nephi and into Mormon's record. Keep your eye on the covenant and don't get lost in the details. We'll talk to you next time. Quarantine Seminary is an independent podcast unaffiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. None of the views expressed here represent the official teaching or position of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our music today, as always, was provided by Dallin Isom. Be sure to check out his stuff at SoundCloud.com. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on new content. Until next time, I'm your host, Mason Isom. Thank you.